Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I'm Betsy. Um, I may not have met all of you in here. I wouldn't assume that I've met all of you guys. I'm super excited. Oh my goodness, I think I just lost my voice. I love worshiping. You're so lucky. Midweek worship like that? In the middle of your week? I get it on Sundays, but I love that. Scott leading you guys in worship is so awesome. Um, I'm super excited to be with you guys tonight. If you haven't met me, I'm Betsy, and I'm married to Pastor John, who is um, our pastor here at Redeemer. And if I haven't met you, raise your hand. Yeah, good. That's all right. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'll find out your names another time. But um, yes, so happy to be with you guys tonight. Um, I'm also happy to be here tonight because maybe you don't know that um, your pastor JT and I are related. So raise your hand if you did not know that I'm related to Pastor JT. Okay, good. So Pastor JT, his dad is my older brother. His older his name is John. Married to John. His older brother Jonathan. No, my older brother, Jonathan, is JT's dad. And I got to tell you a good story about him, of course, because it's related to Jay. And I almost brought a picture of me holding baby Jay. Um, let's see, if Jay was born, I was, I need, I need my calculator. It's so many years ago. Oh, thank you. So I was 20 when JT was born. Thank you for helping me with that math. I was 20 holding little JT. He's so cute. Anyhow, love Jay. Love your pastor. Love his wife, Caitlin. And you are very blessed to have them as your pastor. Um, when I was in the youth ministry or when I was in high school, I had a couple of different pastors roll through. And when you get an awesome youth pastor, you can't yourself blessed. You're going to look back on this time of your life and be like, remember those years where... Pastor JTU was preaching, and we had our friends, and we had worship. You're going to look back to these years and, and remember what God did in your life. So super glad to be with you guys tonight. Um, let's see, what else? Anything you need to know about me? No, not much more than that, other than I'm Betsy, and happy to be with you guys tonight. Um, thanks for being here. I'm sure you could have stayed home and did some homework. Were you dying that you didn't have to, that you, you I wish I stood home and did homework. Maybe somebody actually really felt like that. Lily, did you feel like that? I You got it done? Boom! Got our homework done. Got herself to church tonight. I love that. It's not always easy to do that. I remember our kids used to stay up late after youth group. And um, that was the only time they were allowed to what, stay up till midnight and get their homework done. No. I made that up. 11? I forgot. <laughs> Olivia's my daughter. Emma. Where's Emma? Another daughter of mine. So two girls here tonight. Okay. So a little something about myself. I became a Christian when I was 15. Who's 15 in this room? Anybody? 15, right? Nice to see you. Who else is 15? Aubrey? 15. Okay, big deal. Now, i got to show you some pictures. I'm not yet. Hang on, Jenna. Don't put it up yet. Um, I was a sophomore in high school when I was 15 and when I um, came to Christ. My family was a Christian family, so I grew up around the church. We all went to church every Sunday. We all went to church every Wednesday. But it wasn't until I was in high school that I really started to think about all this church stuff. I saw some people that were kind of excited about church. I was like, whatever. You know, my family goes to church. I read my Bible. It's good. My parents showed me how to read my Bible every day. They taught me how to pray. My mom taught me BSF, which is a certain Bible study program. This is how you're going to underline this. And when you read this word, like my parents did a really good job um, showing me what it was like to be a Christian. 
but it hadn't like turned on in my heart yet until I was 15. Um, so it was when I was 15 that I submitted my life to Christ. Before that time, I may have looked like I cared about Jesus, but what I really cared about were three things. My friends, my appearance, and my stuff. Okay? My friends. Who loves their friends? Anybody like friends? Yeah. <laughs> Big deal. I was like, do I have any friends? I hope so. <laughs> what I looked like, what I wore, and all the stuff I could get. What, what else could I get? I need this, I need that. So let's just look at a couple pictures of me back in my high school days. And actually, we're going to start out with when I was in sixth grade. I was graduating from sixth grade. And I, how old are you when you're in sixth grade? Twelve. Let's look at, oh, Betsy. <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> I have like a little sailor uniform on there. Oh my gosh. Class of 1986. You guys even know, remember that year? No, you weren't even born. I was 12 and this was sixth grade graduation and we had to wear a really pretty dress. My mom forgot to help me with that. She, she picked a different dress. Um, yeah, back then those were the dresses that were the rage. My best friend Janelle in the middle and then another good friend Melissa. We were all in sixth grade graduating. My mom cut my hair a little too short. <laughs> And if I look really close, I think I was wearing pearl earrings, which were all the rage back then. <laughs> Anyhow, some of my best years. Aren't I cute back then? Yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on. Fast forward. Now, for me, I don't know about what happened with you, but from sixth grade to ninth grade, I completely changed. I went from a little girl to a grown-up girl. So let's look at my, oh yeah, my, this is 15 years old girlfriends. Yes. Look. Here I am in the middle. <laughs> And let's just call me brace face because all three of us are wearing braces, right? So there I was. I had big bangs. You can't really see it. I had this really cool like surfer sweatshirt that I loved wearing with the red and then a silver necklace. I guess that was really cool. Anyhow, best friends. This is before I met, before I became a Christian, but these were good friends. I loved these friends. I loved those friends and I loved these friends. Friends were a really big deal to me when I was in high school. Okay, then I think just fast forward, not a huge change. Now I kind of pretty much look like this the rest, but another group of friends and I, very face, Betsy. I think I'm 16 in that picture. And um, I don't know what style of clothes that was, but <laughs> look at my hair, curly. Very curly hair, I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay, friends, and then, okay, wait, this one's I'm a little bit embarrassed about. So senior pictures back when you were a senior in my age, you had to go to a studio. You didn't like go out into the beautiful farmland with all the grasses growing and flow your dress like this. You had to like go to this awkward like room, sit, and they would change the background for you, and you'd pose like weird places. And so, and I wasn't super confident at this time. And my mom put this really. She was like, "Why don't you wear this cute outfit?" And I was, I mean, I was 17, but not very confident. And I put this really flowery, whatever on. And here we go. Oh. <laughs> Okay, you can't tell? I was so conscious. You know, like when I had to put this, you have to send your picture out to all your friends. I was really kind of embarrassed about that picture. But anyhow, there I am. There is the uh, teenage years. So I've been there before. I've been 12, I've been 14, 16, and 18 before. I know what it's like to be a girl that's at that, that age. And I just wanted to show you some funny pictures. So what was I really into? 
during this time, and we can for sure take those off. Good. I was, <laughs> distraction. What was I into? I was really into my friends, what I looked like, my appearance, and my stuff, right? When I was your age, my friends, who were they? Anywhere I would go out, I wanted to find them right away. I got to school, where are my friends? Where, oh, she's sick today. Isn't, is there someone still that I could be friends with? You know, it's my other friend here. Did my friends like me? Was I a nerd? Yes. Was I a loner? What would I do if my friends didn't show up that day? Where would I find myself at school? I really wanted friends. What else did I care about? My appearance. What did I look like? Did I have the cool clothes? Right? The surfer clothes that I talked about. The right hairstyle. Okay, guess what? Back in that time, 19, early 1990s, curly hair was all the rage. Emma, you would have rocked it. Tess, where are you? Tess, yes. And then uh, there's some, Olivia, yes. Curly hair. I actually paid $80 to perm my hair to get it really tight curled because that was really cool. Rach, wasn't that cool? Right? Permed hair. Rach knows hair. Um, and she's close to my age. I'm older, though. Okay, cool clothes, the right hairstyle. Um, oh my gosh, I have a great story to tell you. I threw this in. Let's see, what time? I gotta keep my time going here. Okay, so guess what? Hair was so important to me. This one morning, I was getting ready for school, and you had bangs. Does anybody have bangs right now? Cool, Miss Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. Liv, nice job on the bearded dragon, by the way. I wish I could hear it. I could see. It's so good. Okay, so bangs right here. Well, my bangs had to go up like this. And you like would do this, you like tease, 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 and then hairspray so they'd stay in spot, in the spot. Okay. Well, this morning I was having the worst time with my bangs. Got them ready. They looked terrible. I dunked my head in the sink, just washed the bangs, got back up, dried them, curled them, spray. <laughs> terrible. Dunk five times. Redid my bangs. At this point, I'm about to miss the bus. I am crying in the bathroom because I cannot show up to school without my bangs looking right. Now, I'm going to tell you something. My mom did something so nice to me. I would never have done this for my girls. She took me to the hairdresser and had her cut them and fix them for me because I was an absolute meltdown in the bathroom because my bangs wouldn't look good. I, would not, I have four daughters. I would never have done that. But my mom was really gracious and compassionate. I'm not very compassionate. I'm growing in that. I cared so much about my hair that I could not go to school Unless I, I was melting down on the ground, I could not walk into high school with my bangs not looking awesome. That's a problem. Okay, what else? Freckles. Oh my goodness, I grew up in Southern California. Everyone is tan, nobody's white, and nobody has freckles. And I had all the freckles. I would feel uncomfortable. Like, oh my word, all my friends are like blonde hair and brown skin, and I have white skin and a lot of freckles. I was insecure about that. Um... In ninth grade, I told you that my body changed from being a sixth grade body to a ninth grade body. In sixth grade, all my friends and I were probably size zero and size two. I got to ninth grade, all my friends were size zero, size two, 14. Size 14. My body changed. My hips changed. I wore size 14 jeans and all my friends wore size zero and two. I was kind of embarrassed about that. I was insecure. I didn't overeat. My God just made my body to do a little different things than my friends. I was really insecure and concerned about my appearance. I felt like the Incredible Hulk, you know, next to my friends, which is kind of funny. Don't worry. God does a, he's done a lot of good work in me since then. But I wanted to be beautiful. I cared what I looked like. What else did I care about? Stuff. Did I have the right backpack? Did I have the cool shoes? 
when I got turned 16, all my friends were getting cars for their birthday. I had my grandpa's old car. <laughs> it was ugly. I didn't have a cool car. I didn't have a great house. I had my parents um, did fine, but they, we added on a portion of our house. As I got older, they like added on a second story, and they didn't have enough money to put carpet in a, in my room. So it was like plywood. I didn't really care until my friends came over and hung out my bath in my bedroom, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't have carpet on my floor." I cared what my friends think, thought. I wanted more stuff um, because you know what? Stuff, more stuff, more friends, and being beautiful would make me so happy, right? Yeah? Mm -mm. For sure not. When I became a Christian, and what I like to say is when Christ became the king of my life, he quickly showed me that living for friends, caring what I looked like, and getting more stuff was nothing compared to his love and making him happy, making him smile. He'd look down at me and be like, I love you as you are. That filled me up. I didn't need friends. I didn't need stuff. I didn't need to look better. Girls of all ages struggle with all three of those things, right? Friends, appearance, stuff. But tonight, I want to talk about just one of them. I want to talk about friendships. So, the title is Friendships. I really need friends. <laughs> friendships, I really need them. What does God want for me in my friendships? Is it okay to need friends? Is it okay to want friends? Why am I having a hard time with this one friend? We keep getting stuck. We keep arguing. How can I be a good friend? Well, if you look back to the book of Genesis, which we're not going to do right now, but if you look, go back to the beginning, um, God created us to be in relationships. Who did he create first? Adam. And then very quickly after, he figured that it wasn't great that Adam was alone, so he created Eve, right? So it was God's idea to have relationships. He didn't want Adam to be alone. And Adam and Eve went on to have kids, and they created the first family, the, the first uh, group chat, right? <laughs> the first relationship group. Um, the first BFFs ever were a husband and wife. That's kind of cool to think about. Um, the first relationships, dad to sons, mother to sons, brother to brother. God designed all of that, that your family, that your siblings, that your mom and dad are all part of your relationships. God's idea was to have friendships and relationships, okay? So they can't be wrong. can't be wrong to want friends. Um, God created us to want friends and to be a friend. That's not a bad thing. But there's a problem. Friendships don't always go the way we hope they're going to go, right? Anybody have a, ever have a run-in with a friend? Meaning you, ugh, we're kind of fighting, we're not, yeah, right? That's normal. Every friendship is going to have that. We say mean things. We hurt each other. We get selfish. And instead of loving our friends, we want them to love us and make us feel good. We start to think of friends as objects. What can that person do for me? If I'm friends with her, then maybe I'll be cooler. Maybe the teacher will like me more if I'm her friends with her. Or if I'm friends with him, maybe boys will notice me more. So all of a sudden, we've got this problem, right? We're not going, oh, I want a friend to help them. I want a friend to see what a friend can do for me, to make me feel good, to make me feel important, to make me feel loved. And if you don't make me feel good, then I don't need you. I'll just toss you out like a piece of garbage. 
We make friendships revolve all around us. That's the problem. I don't want to show up alone at school or at youth group because then everybody might see that I'm kind of a nobody. The the shift goes from loving my friends to wanting them to love me. It's all about me. Now, how many of you can relate to this? A lot of you have been coming to Redeemer Students for a while, but can you think back to maybe the first time you showed up and mom and dad dropped you off out there? And maybe you didn't have a car full of friends when they dropped you off. What feelings are going on inside of you when you're pulling up to a new youth group, a driveway that you've never been to, a a room you've never come into, you don't even know where it is in here. What kind of feelings are you feeling? Let me know. Just speak out. Definitely anxiety. What else are you feeling? Overwhelmed. What are you looking for? A what? A friend. You're hoping there's someone you've bumped into before, maybe at school or somewhere else. You really need a friend. And why do you need that friend? What's that friend going to make you feel? Comfortable. Safe. Kind of secure. You're not on your own. Right? But you're thinking, me, me, me. I need a friend so I can feel better. Point number one tonight. I need friends, but I love myself. God wants us to have friends, but things go wrong. And the biggest thing that goes wrong is that we actually have a, we love ourselves more than we love others. It's kind of embarrassing to admit that, but this is my story of how God's changed me. So, we need friends, or I need friends, but I love myself. Let's open up to Ephesians 4. Um, oh, yeah, I brought, this is kind of fun, but open up your Bible to Ephesians 4. Did you bring your Bible? Because I love my Bible. And I actually wanted to show you. I have to keep it in this case because it's fallen apart. This is the Bible my parents gave me when I was 14. And look, it comes apart. <laughs> but it's super special to me because they gave it to me before I was a Christian. And God, while I owned this Bible and started to study it, is when God changed me. And I, at the beginning, I started reading it like it was just a textbook. But by the end, God had changed my heart to where I love this book. And I have ripped pages. I have highlighted pages. I can go back to different passages where God changed me in my teenage years. So this is super special to me. I might bring that out in a little bit. So point number one, I need friends, but I love myself. I'm going to take you to the book of Ephesians, okay? Um, Ephesians. Now, maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, but there's a bunch of books in it. How many books in it? Thank you. You're so smart. I forgot that. Um, There's two parts. The Old and the, thank you. And we're going to be in the new part, okay? And we're going to actually get into some letters that this guy named Paul wrote to some churches. And I'm sure Jay has taught you all of this, but I never like to assume that everybody knows everything. So um, this is a letter to the church of Ephesus. Paul sits down and says, Dear Ephesians, I, I came and visited you a while ago, but I forgot to tell you a couple things, and I want to remind you of some things. So that's what the book of Ephesians is for is, is about. He's going to write a letter to the, the church at Ephesus and remind them of a couple things. Now, if you look at chapter 4, um, Paul starts out teaching the the Ephesians what Christian friendships are supposed to look like, or what a Christian is supposed to look like. And most of the way that you can see what a Christian is supposed to look like is how they interact with the people around them. So who likes to read out loud? I want somebody to read verse 1 and verse 2 really loud and clear. Give it to me. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Come on. You, the one thinking it right now. Who are you? Read it. Therefore, I... 
A prisoner for serving the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I love that. So Paul says, thank you for doing that. Thank you for reading. Guys, I'm interactive, so I might call on you. Be ready. Yeah, you. No, sorry. I might might call on you. Okay, Paul's telling the Ephesians, hey, look, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That just means I'm a servant of the Lord. Paul's like, I love the Lord Jesus. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What do you mean my calling? Calling just means what God's called you to be. The Christian. You're called Christians, right? So he says, I want you to walk in a manner that Christians should walk. Well, what do they look like? They're humble. They're gentle. They're patient. They're bearing with one another in love. That means they, they take a long time to get angry. They love and they love and they love and they love. And they're really eager to keep the friendship strong and one. They don't want any division. They want to keep it one. Okay, so Paul's like, this is what I want. Ephesians church, I want you to look like this. This is what Christ has called you to. Be humble, be gentle, be patient and loving. But if you skipped all the way to verse 17, Paul finds a problem in the Ephesian church. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 17, the beginning, he's just telling them what a great Christian looks like, a a great Christian friend looks like. But he gets to verse 17, and he says this. Now, Ephesians, I say before the Lord, I promise before the Lord, I'm seeing something in you guys, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, who are these Gentiles? Okay, he's saying a Christian is supposed to look like this in the beginning of chapter 4, but he makes a big turn and he's like, uh, hey Ephesians, something's wrong in your church. I'm, not, I'm seeing a problem. I'm not seeing humility. I'm not seeing gentleness. I'm seeing fights break up, break out among you. I'm seeing bitterness. You're getting mad and you're holding a grudge against the very people you go to church with. You're angry. You get hurt really easily. Some of you have started lying and using hateful words toward each other. You aren't acting like a Christian friend at all. You're acting like Gentiles. Well, what are Gentiles? Who are these Gentiles? Paul uses them as an example back then. So the Ephesian church is made up of a lot of Jews, um, but then there's this other group, Gentiles. It just basically means Christians and non-Christians. So anytime he talks about a Gentile, he's referring to non-Christians or what we were like before we met Christ. Okay, so a Gentile is just a reminder of, hey, this is what you looked like before you met Christ. And then Christ came, the gospel, like we read tonight, came, changed your life, and you turned into this, a Christ follower. So Gentiles, that's what those are. Um, Paul sees the Ephesian church struggling in their friendships. And what he notices is that the Christians are actually acting like non-Christians. Yikes. Now let's look at some of the behavior of what Gentiles act like and that what Paul is trying to point out in the Christians in this church. So he's not talking about, he's not saying, oh, these are all the Gentiles. They're all bad and they're all sinners. He's actually saying some of the things that the Gentiles do, they don't actually know that they're dishonoring the Lord. You're doing and you should know better because that's not what Christ did for you. That's not how Christ changed you. So let's look at some of the things that, that Paul decides to highlight that are going on in the Ephesian church, okay? Um, so don't walk, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Well, that kind of sounds like, what is that? What is futility 
of their minds. Futility of your mind. A futile mind is one that thinks about worthless things. Okay, worthless things, things that don't, aren't very valuable. Futile is kind of like, I only think about like the next thing that's in front of me. Like, uh, what's, what, what snack am I going to put in my lunch today? Where are the Cheetos when I really want Doritos? Um, they're just kind of thinking on simple things. They're not really thinking on amazing things. Okay, so a futile mind is simple. It's, um, wor- it kind of tends toward worthless things. So as opposed to a mind that thinks about the amazing things of Christ. Okay, Gentiles think about sim- simple, silly. What can I think? What am I? What do I need to do right now? What, what am I? Um, what, what's for lunch? What clothes am I going to wear today? What am I doing after school today? Where can I go to be with my friends tonight? They're just like simple things. They don't sit back and go, wait a minute. I wonder what God would say about what I should have for lunch or where I should go tonight with my friends. They don't think about God at all. They're futile. Okay, they don't think about the amazing things of Christ. They think about themselves constantly. Gentiles are filled up with themselves. What do I want? What do I need? They don't think about Christ. Their whole mind is filled up with them, with me. What do I think? What do I feel? What do I want? Me, me, me. Gentiles are vain and self-centered. That's what futility of mind. But remember, Paul's like, you guys are acting like them. So he's not just saying the Gentiles are like that. He's like, hey, the people in this room, your minds are... Are, are thinking on worthless things. You're obsessed with yourself. What else are they? What's next? They're darkened in their understanding. The lights are out in their, in their mind. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Well, that's kind of a lot of words, Bets. I need, I need help with that. Alienated and ignorant. What's in the word ignorant? Louder. Ignore. Ignore. These people... Ignore God. I don't care what God thinks. I have no interest in what God says. I'm just going to pretend like he's not there. They're alienated. What's an alien? An alien comes from another planet. They look at God and they go, I don't know what planet he's from, but I'm going to do this thing. They're alienated from God and they're ignorant of God. They don't care. All I care about is... Louder? Me. Me. Okay, Gentiles, all they care about is me. So, they're futile in their thinking. They're alienated from God. They're ignorant. Um, What's next? This one totally hits home. Due to their hardness of heart. What? Inside that that muscle in there? It's like a rock? Mm Mm-mm. It's it's the control center of who you are. Their heart is hard and callous. What does a person who has a hard and callous heart act like? What do they say? This is what I did. I'm not doing what anybody tells me to do. I'm only doing what I want to do. That was me when I had brace face. Okay, 13, 14, 15, I don't care what anybody else wants me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. My mom wants me to do that. I'm not doing that. I'm doing my own thing. I had a hard heart toward my parents and toward God. Okay, it's a rebellious heart. When you don't want to honor your mom, your dad, your teacher, your boss, all of that transfers to the fact that you really actually don't want to honor God. It's a hard and callous heart. You really don't care what he thinks. Actually, you don't really think about him very often at all. You think about me. Next word. So hardness of heart, callous, sensuality. Now, most often when the Bible talks about sensuality, it means sexuality. 
But what is in the word sensual? What word is, is in the word sensual? Sense. Sense, yes. How many senses did God give us? Five. So let's just think about how a Gentile could act with their senses and how that could be not like a Christian. Guess what it is? What feels? What smells good? What tastes good? What looks good? What sounds good to me? What makes me happy? Me, 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 right? A sensual person is just like, this feels good. I'm going to do this. Not necessarily wrong. I'm just saying that they're, they just, they're really, everything is like what they see, what they feel, what they taste, what they touch. Oh, I should do that next because my senses are telling me that. Their senses drive them, not their Christ-likeness or love for Christ. Okay, they're sensual. What makes me happy? They're also greedy. Go down the list. They're greedy. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it. They have an intense, selfish desire to please themselves. Verse 25, what's another thing that the Gentiles are doing, actually that the Christian church is doing, that looks like the Gentiles? Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood. What's falsehood? Lying. Lying. Has anybody ever seen Anne of Green Gables? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the word falsehood? When Anne, they think steals the brooch. And then she makes up the story that she stole the brooch. And, and Marilla says, Aunt Shirley, are you telling me a falsehood? Right? That's the word. Lying. Right? I just, sorry, came to my mind. Um, a falsehood is liars. People who were like the Christians who were like the Gentiles, they're liars. Now, why does someone lie? They don't like the truth. It's easy. They don't like the truth. But give me some other, like what? Hey, guess what? I've lied in my life. So you probably all have lied. And that's um, part of being a human and why we love Christ because he forgives us for that. But there's a reason why we lie. There's a lot of reasons why we lie. But just throw a couple more out. Why would, why would we lie? Yes. To protect yourself. Right? Usually if you come up to a place and you're talking to your friends and they're like, I heard this and you're like, oh, no, I didn't do that. Like, you knew you lied, but it was to make yourself look better, to protect yourself. I love that you came up with that, Caitlin. Ah, oh, I got the wrong sister. Sorry. I'll get that right next time. Sorry, Allie. Okay. Please forgive me for that. Um, okay. We lie to protect ourselves, to promote ourselves. What's at the root of this? Me. me. Okay. Verse 26. What else happens to these Gentiles, to these Christians, actually? They're, they're struggling. Um... Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Oh my goodness, they're, they're angry. They're wrathful. It's, it's uh, elevating. They're getting really angry. You make me mad. You hurt me. I'm going to become bitter and unforgiving. Okay? What else? Verse 29. Um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Whoa. These guys have corrupting talk coming. The church. You might expect that, guys, when I head to Guilford. I'm for sure going to expect corrupting talk. But when I come to Redeemer or when I hang out with the Redeemer students, maybe over at Carlson Arena, does it, would it make sense for corrupting speech to be coming out of the Redeemer students or the Guilford students that are ice skating over there? Right. Doesn't make sense. What? These Christians got corrupt speech? They're tearing down others. They're gossiping. They're putting themselves up and putting other people down, right? Non-stop talk about yourself. They're slandering. 
They're putting other people down. Um, and if you do talk about others, it's usually bad. It's usually negative. So listen, these types of people, when I talk about I need friends, but I love myself, people who love themselves and friendships, these types of people walk into a room like this and they think, what can you do for me? I'm going to go find my friends and I, what can they do for me? Right? How can they love me tonight? Now, you might not be saying that exactly, but you're going, how can I get comfortable tonight? How can I feel safe? How can I feel secure? That's what, that's what this kind of mind, a feudal mind, the Gentile mind is doing. What's in it for me? Me before you. And guess what? People that are like that make for terrible friends. Right? Maybe you can think of a friend. Don't say the name. <laughs> Maybe you can think of a friend who's just like that. All they ever do is think about themselves. Maybe you've been that friend, and I'm pretty sure you have been, because I've been that friend, where all we think about is ourselves. That makes for a terrible friend. Well, good news. I'm not going to end the message here, because that'd be pretty depressing. And Paul doesn't end the message in Ephesians. This is so cool. In in chapter 4, look at this. Number two, my second point. I love myself. And I need Christ to change me. So look at verse 20. This is so cool. He's telling you what the Gentiles look like. But that is not the way... Redeemer students, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, right? That's not the way you learned Christ, Ephesus. Ephesians, that's not how Christ taught you to act when he showed up on the earth and we all, a bunch of us saw him. That's not what he showed us how to live. That's not how he showed us how to live. He didn't model that. That's not how a Christian friend acts. 21, assuming that you've heard about Christ now and were taught in him. Paul knew this church. He knew he had taught them about Jesus. He knew all the Christians there knew about Jesus and what they were supposed to do. But guess what? He assumes that. And while I could assume that every girl in this room has showed up at Redeemer students and has heard about Jesus and is a Christian, I'm not going to assume that. You know why? Because when I, was a, when I was 15, I had heard about Christ. I had been taught really well about Christ. But my heart had not been radically changed by the power of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to assume in a room like this, even though a lot of you look like you're following Christ, that you are. You might have been like me when I was 15. My heart had not repented. It was hard and selfish. Now, just because you come to youth group or you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. And if you, like me in my teen years, struggle with the selfishness and constant thinking of yourself, my friends, what do I look like? How much more stuff can I get? What can I do to be happy? Who can approve me? Who can love me? Who can make me feel good? You're looking so hard for all that stuff, because I was too. But you're not going to find it unless you turn your life over to Christ. Maybe you haven't met Christ yet. Maybe that's where you are tonight. You're like, oh, I totally can identify with that. I'm I'm longing to have that. Don't assume that you're a Christian. Now, I love the book of James, and if you don't turn there now, but there's a little verse in the book of James that says that he talks about the Bible being like a mirror. And I don't know about you, but when I look into the mirror of Ephesians 4, and I start reading what a Gentile is like, I'm like, ugh. I'm coming up failing because I look just like that more often than I want to. 
I'm an utter failure when I look at that. I have every bit of that Gentile in me. A hard heart sometimes? Yeah. I don't always want to serve my family. I don't always want to serve my husband. I don't always want to come to church. Shocker. I know I'm the pastor's wife. But I don't always want to show up here. Yuck. I'm selfish. I like to protect myself. I like to lift myself up other than, more than others. And it makes for a terrible friend. Someone who's that self-absorbed. But... Here's the best part of the story. Here's where my life story takes a major turn. I was 15, and I want you to go back just one page in your book of Ephesians, and I'm going to read this because it's so amazing. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Those Gentiles... You were just like him. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. The spirit that's now in work in, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. What do I want? What do I want? What do I want? <laughs> Carrying out the desires of my body. What does my body want? What does my body want? What does my body want? And my mind. What does my mind want? I mean, this is just like a totally obsessed with self person. All of us were like that. All of us were like that. But what happens in verse 4? Tell me those two words. But God. Louder. But God. All together. But God. But God. So I was dead, ugly, self-centered, self-exalting, worshiping myself, looking to please myself, not finding it, dead. But God, being rich in mercy. He's like, oh my gosh, look at her. She's a wreck. She's trying so hard to find happiness in friends and what she looks like and you know, getting more stuff. It's not working. And he presses into our hearts with mercy. Like his heart's like breaking. Like I know what the answer she, that she needs is. Because he loves us. Because of his great love with which he loved us. He made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. By grace, I was saved when I was 15. Okay, so that was me, dead, worshiper of self, just like the Gentiles. But God, rich in mercy, came and showed up in my life. So thankful for that. When I was 15, Christ radically changed me, and he put to death the lover of self in me. What a miracle. What else happened? Verse 20 and 22 in chapter 4. Here's what it looks like. Okay, Paul, Paul, Paul kind of um, describes what that, that change, what it looks like. Um, but that's not the way you learn Christ Redeemer students Ephesians you've heard about him just as you were taught in Jesus put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life you know back when you looked like the Gentiles and it was corrupt through its deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that's the but God part comes in he changes your cleans out your mind it's awesome Awesome. He put off my old self and he put on a new self. Awesome. Okay, so last point. Christ changes me so I can be a good friend. It's coming up right now. Right, Jenna? There it is. Christ changes me so I can be a good friend. So what was the first one? I need friends, but I love myself. I love myself and I need Christ to change me. Christ changes me. So I can be a good friend. 
When Christ changes your life, it seems as though everything flip-flops. You make a, you're going this direction, and it is a total turnaround, 180. What's old becomes new, what's sick becomes healthy, what's dirty becomes clean. I hope you know that time in your life where you can look back and go, I know exactly that when God took me from being old to new, okay? Paul often uses the idea of clothes to help us understand, which I really appreciate, right? We get the whole take off the dirty, sweaty workout clothes and put on the new stuff. It feels a lot better, right? Our old self is like that dirty shirt and you're to take it off and put on Christ. I'm not gonna think about myself anymore. I'm gonna put on Christ who died for other people and loves people and I'm gonna go act like him because that's what he's done in me. Take off the dirty, put on the clean. He puts on loveliness and beauty. Verse 24, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, created like God. He's righteous and he's holy. Put on, put off. Well, what does he want us to put off? I already talked about it. Verse 25, falsehood. And I'm going to zero in on something. Put away falsehood and speak truth to each other. What? Our mouths? My speech? Yes. One of the most noticeable changes that happened to me when I became a Christian, happened with my mouth. Happened with my speech. So I'm going to press in a little bit, okay? I believe um, that our mouths are a very good example of what's going on inside of our heart. The Bible says that. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Um, I was so disrespectful to my parents with my words. I went to youth group every Wednesday. I was even on SLT. This is literally true. I was on SLT. I was like going on mission trips. And back at home, I was terrible to my parents. Disrespectful, mouthing off, sassy. I can't, I don't, I hate how much I hurt my mom with my mouth. Um, so sinful. But when God got a hold of my heart, I started hating that about myself. I started hating the words that would slip out. Like, I could zing my mom so well. I hate to even admit that. I could zing her so well, and I would watch her face drop. Ooh, I don't want to cry. It makes me sad. One of the most noticeable changes is my mouth. I believe that one of the greatest evidences, girls, of the Lord Jesus Christ changing your life, changing your heart, is that he changes what comes out of your mouth. And I want to challenge you to think about what is coming out of your mouth. Every one of you, don't say it out loud, what comes out of your mouth? At home? At school? Little white lies. I was the queen of little white lies. And I did it, Allie, because I didn't want, I didn't want to make people, I, I was peer pressure, man. Ugh, I'm just going to say that. So, what's coming out of your mouth? Little white lies? Those don't really count. God doesn't really count those little ones. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Sassy pants to your mom and dad? Zingers coming out of your mouth? I'm a teenager, that's normal. No, not if you're a Christian. Potty mouth, when no one's here, when no one's around. Swearing, I don't know what, when no one's looking, Christ is hearing you. How about how you're speaking to your brothers and sisters? Mean, hurtful. Ugh. Verse 29, what does it say? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, Christian, but only such a word that is good that builds up, that fits the moment, 
that it may give grace to those that hear. What's coming out of your mouth? Words that build up or words that tear down? You're tearing down your relationship with your brother? You're tearing down your relationship with your sister? Tearing down your relationship with your mom? If you know Christ and he's changed your heart, that's not, that's not who you are. That's not what Christ has done for you. What did he say? We, don't, we didn't learn Christ that way, Paul says. Whew, is what, what's coming out of your mouth something that honors Christ? When Christ changes you, ladies, your speech changes. From talking down and making fun of and judging, you know, you're all just sitting back watching all the girls walk in. Maybe nobody ever hears it, but you're thinking it. And I can only make up this stuff because I've actually been there. I don't know where you are, but this is stuff I've actually done before. Um, when Christ changes you, your speech changes. You care about using your words to help people, not hurt people. You care about um, wanting to build up, wanting to encourage. You want to give grace. That just means a blessing. When, someone, when your friend's over, you're like, how can I love her today? She just had the worst day ever. How can I love her? I had a terrible day too, but I'm not going to think about myself. I'm going to think about her. How can I love her today? How can I bless her? How can I be kind? Are you thinking about that before you get to youth group? Can't wait to see your friend. Well, I hope you're thinking, how can I love her tonight? Maybe she had a terrible day. How can I love her? That's what Christ did. Man, he was so good at that. And you know what? He, he was on earth. And you think, I love a little alone time. This guy never got alone time. If it was alone, it was probably 3 a.m. at night, you know, out in the wilderness. He'd get done with one group of people. And they'd be like, we You know, his compassion would break. He was with people nonstop. Always thinking of other people. What does a good friend look like? I'm going to read it. Colossians. Did you know that in the book of Colossians, I think Paul almost wrote the same letter to Ephesians, the Ephesus church as to the Colossian church. Okay, because this is what it, he's like repeating himself. So Colossians 3. Betsy, help me. What does a good Christian friend look like? I don't want to, I want to stop loving myself and I want to love other people. Colossians 3. Put on as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts. When you see that a friend is having a bad day, your heart breaks. It stops. Let me swing by the gas station and get a little iced latte to bless her. You go, oh, that's terrible. I wish it didn't happen to me. Kindness, same idea. Humility. You're thinking about them. You're not thinking about you. Humility is like, I'm going to put myself under. So you come into a conversation and everybody's talking. And you're like, oh, I wish someone would ask how, how my day was. No. You ask, you ask so many questions that no one ever has time to ask how you're doing. That's Christ-like. No, he, no, he, never, he never talked about himself. Okay, so humility, meekness, patience. You don't get angry. People hurt you, girls. We are so sensitive. Toughen up. Not kidding. Toughen up. It's not about you. Guess what? People are going to hurt us. They're going to say things they didn't mean to hurt. They say, toughen up. Let it go. Because you know what? God loves you. It doesn't matter if they love you. It doesn't matter what they say about you. Toughen up. Live in God's... The identity that God's given you. You can be strong because he loves you and he's empowered you to love people, okay? So compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Man, the list is long. Bearing with one another, forgiving. That means that when someone hurts you, you don't go, I can't be friends with you anymore, you hurt me. No, you step closer. I'm still gonna love you. I'm still gonna love you. I'm gonna forgive you again and again and again. Every time the Pastor John's had to forgive me in 30 years of marriage, 28 years of marriage, two years of dating, Hundreds of times. If you want to have a great friendship, forgiveness is a big part of it. Over and over. No great relationships happen without forgiveness. I'll wrap it up. 
When I got saved, God took the verse Philippians 2, 3. It's part of my story. I'm going to read it to you. I read, I heard, I read of this verse, and I was like, okay, life-changing. I'll never, ever go back. Philippians 2, verse 3. I'm going to read out of my Bible so I get it exactly right, even though I did memorize it years ago. Philippians 2, 3. Betsy, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, count others as more significant than yourself. Changed my life. I started thinking, I was all by myself. I read that verse. Christ changed me, and I have given my life to love people, and I could not be a happier person because of that. That's a God thing in my life. God took this verse, changed me. I went from getting dropped off at youth group and hurrying over to my friends because I needed to feel safe and secure. Guess what I did? God changed me, and I started a greeting ministry in my youth group. I was the only one in the greeting ministry for a long time. (laughs) But I thought, I'm going to stand by the door where all the people walk in. I'm going to stand alone by myself at the door where all the people walk in because I know what it's like to be alone. And I feel compassion for those people. So I started standing at the door of my youth group and welcoming everybody in, smiling, hugging who I could hug, shaking hands. If I found someone who was brand new, I'd go find a friend for them to meet. And eventually all my friends joined me in that. That totally radically changed me, okay? I wanted to be the one that helped. So, Redeemer students, ladies, when Christ changes you, you no longer think of friendships with what can I get, but what can I give? He turns you into a kind, humble, forgiving friend who's generous with their time and their stuff. You can have as much of me as you need. That new self that Christ does in you, he doesn't say, I need, I need, I need friends. It says, how can I be a great friend to you? How can I help you grow into a beautiful Christ-like woman? What can I do for you? How can I help you? You before me. I need friends, but I love myself. I love myself and need Christ to change me. Christ changes me, and now I can be a good friend. Let's pray.